0: Yes, we are back in Genesis chapter 12, Uh, we're going to go through verses 2 through 9, we'll read one again just so you have it, but the title of uh, this morning's message, um, perhaps this day's message is four hours long, Um, it's okay, you gotta go, is then the Lord appeared to Abram, then the Lord appeared to Abram, Um, and uh... first, when I first read through it a couple times, uh, I just titled it, The Lord Appeared to Abram, but you'll see why the title is, Then the Lord Appeared to Abram. But uh, basically, you know, obviously we're continuing our study of the relationships between God and people in Genesis. uh, Obviously, we're focusing on God and also the people involved, and I think really because these are people stories. Uh, A lot of times we know the stories, but we don't know the people involved in them. You know, a lot of times we say Bible characters, and And I don't think that's the best picture because then we think of, like, Cinderella or, you know, anyone that's a character. But these are real people, you know. They're a lot like us. I was listening to a message, uh, might have been the first part of a book. The past couple days were blurred because I was traveling to work Mm -hmm. and I listened to, like, all the stuff in the car Um, and I don't remember what was what. But you're talking about, uh, even the scripture says that, uh, you know, these prophets were just like us. They had, like, desires and, like, passions, like, failures that... In fact, uh, it was Gail Irwin, and he was going through all the characters in Genesis and just showing how each of them is so completely flawed, and yet how God used them and called them and loved them. And I think sometimes we look at, you know, the scripture, and we don't see it for, for what it is, you know. The Bible calls people who they are, and it doesn't pull any punches. And yet, when God looks at them, he doesn't see them as failures. He sees them as these, as these men and women who are uh, a part of his plan, as a purpose. But we we saw that Abram was called out from his family, his friends, his country, and his father. You know, we talked about coming out of his father's rule and influence and power. Um, And we look at even the Middle East, that culture is very patriarchal. Even today, like, Islam is really founded over this whole, like, in, like, a a strong way of this rule of the family. You know, if you turn from that nature turn from that uh, system, they'll come after you. And I'm not saying that that was really necessarily Abram's family, but that there was this tight-knit uh, group there, uh, that they're, you know, this was to turn from your family to leave your family. It was kind of unheard of. It was, uh, they were your everything, but he had to leave everything he knew and he loved. And that was familiar. And we know that that is hard. You know, it's easy to go where it's familiar. You know, when you come back to church, you go to the same seat. When I go get Chinese food, I order the same thing because it's familiar. I know it. I'm hungry. I don't want any doubts in my mind about me being satisfied about the meal. So I get what I want. Um, but again, God wasn't calling Abram to ditch his family, but really to start a new one. That'll, it was a lot like the picture of marriage where you leave and cleave, where you come out of the family that you grew up in, all you knew was familiar, and you start a new family. Yes, you're still part of the old family in a way in marriage, but really it's a new family going forward. And God said it was promised, a land that I will show you, that he promised the land uh, to Abram. And we see that the list of blessing was far greater than the list of leaving. The things that Abram had to leave behind was not as big, not as wonderful in a sense of the things that were before him. Um, There's a bit of an intro before you get into the scripture, but um, Job 121 says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know that Job lost his whole family, that God allowed this to happen, but God gave him twice as much. Uh, back later. Not that it makes up for the loss that he had, but showing that when God does allow loss in our life, he always wants to um, uh, restore it uh, even more. You know, God always gives more than he takes away. John 15, 1 and 2 says, Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Um, started studying this earlier this week, knowing I was going away. And lo a lone hole, God begins to prune things in my life. I'm like, Can <laughs> we teach ourselves something easier? But sincerely, it's a good thing. Because the Father always prunes us. Why? That Jesus may bear more fruit in us. He's not going to be able to bear fruit in us if he doesn't trim off uh, the excess. And again, it's never to hurt us. It's never to hurt us when God begins to clip and cut at us. You know, sometimes I'll, we'll tell our kids, No. Uh, about certain things. They're not good things. or bad things. Like, no, you can't do that because you can't go play in the street or whatever it is. And they'll get, you know, oh, can't believe, you know what I mean? Just like upset. And and don't we do the same thing? You know, didn't we do the same thing growing up? Don't we do it now sometimes? Don't we even do it with the Lord? I think if we're honest, we'll realize, man, you know, I even myself this week, it was like, I just sensed myself getting all hard and mm, with the Lord about something. And I was just thinking, like, why am, I, why am I reacting this way? You know, God reminded me, you know, whose child are you? You know, you're my child. He reminded me of Job. Man, like, uh, when God does these things, I think sometimes it's just to show us our reaction, you know. What are we really seeking Him for? But the real hurt would be to have no fruit at all in our lives. The real hurt would be, not that we might be pruned now and clipped a little now, but when we get to heaven, that there's no fruit. man. God, I kind of wish you disciplined me a little bit more. I kind of wish you cut off a little bit more that I might have been more fruitful. John 15:16 says, Jesus says uh, to them, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. And Jesus said, you didn't choose me. I chose you for fruit. I chose you to do these things. I chose you to be a part of of uh, my plan and purpose. And with that, God had called Abram out. God called Abram out. Abram, necessarily, maybe he was, maybe he wasn't looking for a way out, but God called him out. And with that, Abram's brother, Haran, died before their dad. That even though God had called Abram out, this thing was about to happen in their lives. God called Abram out, and then his brother dies. He dies before their dad. They had this family lost. You know, even before Abram and Nahor got married, you know, how old was Abram when this happened? You know, how old were they? You know, he was 75 when they leave Haran. You know, uh, but there's things that went on in his family that were hard. You know, God was calling him out of his family. And yet there were hard things that were about to happen in his family. And I think maybe Abraham had a seemingly noble excuse, perhaps to take care of his family. You know, uh, if that was the case. You know, all these things are going on in his family. God's calling me out, but this is happening in my family. How can God be calling me out when it's my family? But it wasn't what God was leading him to do. And as we go through these things, I want to take it in a balance because, you know, the scripture does say that, you know, those who don't take care of their family are worse than those who are completely lost and, and sinful. Because it's like, if you say you love God, you don't love your family... There's obviously something wrong there. Uh, But again, it wasn't what God was leading to do because we need to examine our motives to really see if it's God or us. Uh, Why don't we turn to Luke uh, 14, verse 12. 14:12 it says then he also said to him who invited him this is jesus talking to the to the, the man who invited him to dinner it says when you give a dinner or supper do not ask your friends your brothers your relatives nor rich neighbors lest they also invite you back and you be repaid but when you give a feast invite the poor the maimed the lame and the blind and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just Now, when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they, with all with one accord, began to make excuses. You know, the first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. And I'm going to test them. I asked you to have me excused. So another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. And we'll pause there. You know, everything we've seen here could have been one of Abram's excuses. You know, he's going to get married. He's got some land. He's got some inheritance. He's got all this stuff going on. And verse 21 says, So that servant came and reported these things to his master. And the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master... It is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who are invited shall taste my supper. Now great multitudes went with him, and as he turned to them, he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple." You know, those are tough words. Uh, you can look at it later. Luke nine fifty-seven through 62, someone else wanted to follow him. And he said, uh, you know, uh, can I go bury my dad first? Can I go bury my parents? And, you know, there's debate whether the guy's dad was really dead yet or not, whether he was just waiting for his inheritance. But Jesus said, you know, you've got to come after me. That um, knowing, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You know, that we really need to count the cost. And what is it going to cost you and I to follow the Lord? What is is the the payment? You know, what is the admittance fee for coming after the Lord? Uh, And I wonder, what has it cost us? Has it cost us anything? And if not, I wonder if if we've truly followed. If God's asking us to go out and do something, it's always going to cost us something. And there's a saying that says, there's no such thing as a free lunch. You know, the, the, I think in some way that's true, and we don't like to think about that in Christianity, um, but a picture, I was watching, uh, really interesting how they send spacecraft to other planets, like you know, the, the one that New Horizons went to Pluto. You know, in my, you know, when they tell you that in my mind, I know it's not the way it is, but I think of the lineup from science class of Mercury through Pluto, it's all in a straight line. You know, they just send it out in a straight line, and after a couple of years they get there. But it's, like, not the case. Like, they send it, and then, you know, they show, you know, you got all the orbits of the planet, and they make it speed up, so it intercepts the next, next orbit, and then the gravity of that planet changes the angle of the, the satellite to the next one. It's, like, the craziest game of pool I've ever seen in my entire life. You know, you hit one ball into another, to another, and eventually you get there. And uh, they said that even the tiny Voyager spacecraft from the 70s, when it went to Jupiter, there's a the law of conservation of uh, energy or mass. I forget what it, was called. But basically, you know, the, there's, if there's a gain, there's gonna be a loss somewhere else. And so when Voyager, this tiny little spacecraft, used Jupiter as the largest gas giant's planet's gravity to, to be assisted in and slingshot around, Jupiter slowed down. Its orbit slowed down by one foot every like, I forget what it was, 400,000 years or something that they calculated, like infinitesimally. But the fact is, this little satellite slowed this giant planet down. But there's always a cost. Uh, there's always a trade-off and that even a tiny thing can affect uh, the largest planet but salvation costs Jesus everything and he offers it freely to us because he paid for it all but it seems clear in the scripture that it costs our life to walk in it we can't have our cake and eat it too we can't continue to be the same old person and continue to follow after God and that's the way God intended it because if we're honest the same old person is not a good person the same old person does the same old silly stuff. Uh, the, same, the old person is the, per, the reason why we got saved in the first place, because we realized, man, this is, not, this is not good. And again, it doesn't earn our salvation, but it's to walk in it, to receive it, to, to be sanctified in it. The sanctification is what has cost in our life. And if you don't agree, and if I don't agree, maybe I'm wrong but I wonder what Paul would mean by this in Philippians 3, 8-11. He says, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, of whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Even Paul knew everything else, if God says go, is not worth it. He needed to reach the end, and we need to gain Christ. Upmost, uh, for, for his highest from the other day, the 12-9, it says, it's not a question of giving up sin, but giving up my right to myself, my natural independence, my self-will. This is where the battle has to be fought. The things that are right, noble, and good from the natural standpoint are the very things that keep us from being God's best. Once we we come to understand that natural moral excellence opposes or counteracts surrender to God, we bring our soul into the center of its greatest battle. Very few of us would debate over what is filthy, evil, and wrong, but we do debate over what is good. It is the good that opposes the best. The higher up the scale of moral excellence a person goes, the more intense the opposition to Jesus Christ. On the surface, we we may not think that. Those who are Christ's have, what, crucified the flesh. The cost of your natural life is not just one or two things, but everything. Beware of refusing to go to the funeral of your own independence. It goes on to say, the natural life is not spiritual, and it can be made spiritual only through sacrifice. If we do not purposely sacrifice the natural, the supernatural can never become natural to us. There is no high or easy road. Each of us has the means to accomplish it entirely in his own hands. It is not a question of praying, but of sacrificing, and thereby performing his will. That's hard, because sometimes we go, oh, Lord, let your will be done. Why is not it being done? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I think, you know, maybe that's why we don't pray sometimes. It is why I don't pray. This question from, uh, this quote from A.W. Tozer I saw on Instagram says, Prayer will become effective when we stop using it as a substitute for obedience. I think that's what you were saying there. And with that, let's get back into Genesis chapter 12. Verse one says Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, I will bless you, and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy five years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, excuse me, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. And Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the Terebin tree of Mora, and the Canaanites were in the land. And we're going to stop there for right now. But Abram was told to leave three things, his country, his family, and his father's house. And we we looked at that last week. But after God told him to leave those three things, God gives him my wills. God says, you leave these things, and I will do this. He says, I will bring you to a land that I will show you. Uh, I pass out that map. I want it to be like that Oprah meme, a map for you, a map for you. (laughs) Um, And this is just from a quick Google search. But in the top left, you kind of see two ideas of where Ur could be. I kind of believe it's the one north of Iran there, not the one in the the lower right. But you see, he's kind of in Iran and Iraq. He's between the the Tigris and Euphrates. Uh, He's in Mesopotamia, they head down towards the Promised Land. And we think of the Promised Land being Israel, about the size of New Jersey today. But its borders are really much, much bigger than that. All the way from Egypt, from over by the Nile, all the way up, all the way up near Turkey, all the way down uh, through Iraq and Kuwait, through uh, the top half of Saudi Arabia, that all of this, was what God promised to Abram. And is it any wonder why there's still conflict over there today? Is there any wonder why, you know, they just keep trying to push the promise of God out into the Mediterranean. And and it's amazing that it hasn't happened. But I just thought it was interesting to actually see that and see those borders rather than just uh, describe them. But God says to Abram, I will make you a great nation. You know, Israel, as we know, is still a nation today. It was made a nation again in 1948. Essentially, that's almost 70 years ago. You know, God said that the generation that sees that happen is going to be the generation that sees the Lord's return. And we're getting pretty old, so, you know, maybe my understanding of generation is wrong, but we see all these attempts to wipe out Israel through history. Um, Egypt, Babylon, Rome, the Crusades with the Catholics and the uh, Muslims fighting. Um, We saw Hitler trying to wipe out the Jews. Palestinian conflict of today, trying to get rid of Israel and get them out of the land. Um, you know, it's amazing. Yet this tiny little area, this people of God is still around, and still there today. And again, uh, even the president said the other day that they're one of the most successful democracies in the whole world. It's it's hard to be a democracy. Democracy doesn't last long. On average, was it 200, 300 years? like that. And they're a successful democracy where? The Middle East. A place where, like, Democracy is starting to flip over, but you realize it's not really. You know, Russia is supposed to be a democracy, and yet Putin is in for the thousandth time. You know, <laughs> well, they, you, whatever, fine. He wants to be king. Uh, you know, whatever. But it's, it's not really a democracy in that case. And it's interesting that ours is failing. You know, a nation that was founded on principles that were godly is not failing. As we turn to them, but God says the third thing. He says, "I will bless you." And this is really kind of a 3 party. He's like, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. And you'll be a blessing to others. You know, obviously, Abram blessed Lot, as we see. You know, he rescued Lot. And, you know, Lot was able to take the good land from Abram later on. Uh, the people around him he blessed. You know, Israel is a blessing today. He was given a son. He was given a heritage, a family, a land, a name forever. Everyone knows Abram today. You know, the three most major religions, you know, I think it's kind of unfair to the other false ones, but... Abram is at the center of of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Just different views on him. But God says, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. I don't know if you saw on the news the other day. America is finally moving the United States Embassy uh, to Jerusalem. That this is not something new. This was something that Congress had made an accord in 1995 to do. But every president since then has kind of pushed it off done it and our current administration is moving there finally good you know there's a lot of outrage and you know i think it's good i think it's a good choice i think that uh we should recognize jerusalem as israel's capital because it is but i think it's also interesting when you think of the end times you think of uh the the peace pact that's going to have to happen between israel and the palestinians and the world and how the temple is going to be back uh in jerusalem and how they're going to divide the city and all these things are going to happen. It's like, well, I wonder if this has to happen with that. I wonder if there's some wrong. I mean, I don't know what America's rolling in. But I think all these things, even though they're good and we're doing it for the right reason, I think, still plays in and still is a puzzle piece for the end times. But man, you know, God says that, oh, bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. I think that it can't go wrong for us if we want to bless Israel and recognize their capital. Not that we can buy time with God, but in a sense, I think it's like, I don't know. another quarter in the parking here before judgment comes. I don't know. But it says that everyone will be blessed. And this is the most important one because the Messiah would come through Abram's line. That the nation would be built up and that Messiah would come through this nation. This nation would be a picture to all the other nations. God loved them and they were a special people. But they were there to meant to draw other people to God and show the reality of God. Um, This is that the enemy has always tried to destroy the Israelites you know, to get rid of the Messiah. Because Jewish people aren't there. There can't be a Jewish Messiah, and God's promise can't be true. And, you know, again, to try and get rid of them and attempt to prove God's faithfulness to return for them. But we saw that Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him in verse 4. But when we read the end of chapter 11, we see that, well, he kind of left and he went to Haran. And he brought his family, he was with his dad, and he departed, and, you know, he went there first. He started leaving town, but he didn't go all the way. And it reminds me of uh, when Moses was trying to get the Israelites out of Egypt uh, from God's command. And Pharaoh said, oh, yeah, you can go. Just, you go out a little bit. Go out a little bit and worship God. You can go worship God. But basically saying, you know, don't go out of my sight. You know, don't go all the way out there and worship God in the wilderness. Kind of go out to the edge of the lawn, but don't cross the street. Yet. And, and that wasn't what God had wanted for them. And that wasn't what God had wanted for Abram either. And they waited until his dad died to really move on. It's interesting that God doesn't really bring that up here again. That we kind of have to read chapter 11 and not forget about it as we read chapter 12. But God doesn't bring it back up here again. Um, because I believe delayed obedience obviously is disobedience. When we don't obey, obviously we're being disobedient. But I believe when we finally obey, God still honors it as much as he can. Sometimes there's consequence, sometimes there's other things that are involved. But God says, okay, good, you finally have been obedient. Maybe he's been calling you to get saved since you were a kid, and you're 80 years old and you get saved. There's consequence there. There's a life lost, but God can still use it. God can still bless you, and you're still going to go to heaven the same way you would have if you accepted him when you are five. You guys remember the story of the two servants, and they're told to do something, and the one says yes right away, but doesn't do anything, and the other one says no way, but later on goes, I need to go do this it's Abram, he finally, finally obeys. And again, we're going to see there's lots of consequence here throughout the rest of Genesis. Um, and again, even if that consequence is just missing out on what God has for you in this season, you just have to wait for the next season to get it. Man, you know, I was talking to Ashley the other day after getting after getting back. Like, um, I feel like the Lord's been showing me things the past few years and even the past few months. And um, not like, well, you know. Was these, but just stuff that, like, man, I just... I wish I, I, I wish I felt this way. I wish I saw this 10 years ago. And I, I guess I couldn't, or I wasn't willing. Man, it would have been so much better, so much easier, so much more fulfilling to just be this... I, it's hard to explain. You know, I, I think you guys get what I'm trying to say. That, like, you know, sometimes it's just, man, if we were just willing to, to obey earlier, it would have been a lot better. But God can restore those things. The Bible talks about... Um, restoring the years of of Eden. And even if we've been disobedient, even if we failed and flailed, God can still restore those things. God can still make it like it never happens. And even here, as we read, God doesn't revisit it here because God's like, Abram obeyed. That's all I wanted in the first place. That's all I wanted for him was to come out of there. All right, it took him a little longer than I expected. It's not the best I had for him, but I'm so glad he came out. I'm not going to hold it over his head. And it says that Lot went with him when he went out. And the same word as Abram, dying to self, to leave, to go, uh, when Abram was, was called to go out of. And I wonder, did Lot get Abram's faith? I think at some point he obviously does a little when he's told to flee Sodom and Gomorrah. Obviously, he has some amount of faith. You know, he knows where the angels are. He tells the people they've got to get out, that he believes God. But, but obviously, it's very shallow. That Whatever faith Lot had, and I don't know if he had it at this time, it was shallow. But I wonder, why did he go? Why did he go? know i don't think that abraham was leaning on him as much or at least in the same way as moses was on aaron when he was called to go to the israelites oh god i can't speak You know uh, you know me god's like i called you he's like yeah but god and god's like all right fine i'll send aaron with you i don't think it was like some dependence on lot in that sense but on the same uh, side i'm not as convinced that lot was as gung-ho in faith uh for abram's call um, because Abram wasn't even that gung-ho. It took Abram whole, this whole time to, to obey God. I don't think that it rubbed off in Lot in this, like, matter, wow, Abram, you're such a great man of faith. I'm going to come with you and follow you and go with you. I think that, uh, that maybe it was something else, because we see that, that, what, that Lot's dad died young. Lot's dad died before Lot's granddad. And losing a father, I'm sure, is a hard thing. You know, I have friends who have lost family members when they were younger, and yeah. You know, I went through a divorce growing up, but that is nothing compared to actually losing your parents. It's a totally different thing. Um, We have an acquaintance who lost her father when she was young, and she posts on Instagram about every year, like the anniversary, I guess. And I go, man, I, I hope if I pass on that my daughters look at me that way and think of me that way. You know, I don't want them to have to go through that, but if that's the case, I hope that they have that affection for me and know that their dad loved them. You know, we had a family friend growing up, too. Her her husband died, and and her daughter was that way about her dad. But Lot's dad died young. And Abram, his uncle, he was the oldest brother of their family, steps in, I think. I think at least they had some sort of relationship there. And this gives me different eyes for Lot. I never really saw this about Lot before in the scriptures. I always just saw him as just Abram's nephew, and he was just a punk, and always kind of wanted his own way. And maybe he still was. But I see him a little differently now. You know, because of the importance of a father we talked about. Uh, their, their influence, whether they're there or not. And perhaps Abram was a good figure. Maybe he was a good father figure. But maybe he didn't step up in the whole way. Uh, and again, I'm really going down the rabbit hole here. But I'm just trying to understand the family picture. I think it's good to see. But maybe he didn't discipline Lot as much as Lot needed to be. Maybe he wasn't the best example for Lot. Maybe the relationship was more he was trying to be friends with Lot than he was trying to be um, an uncle. But I don't know. Maybe he just didn't want to strain the relationship. You know, maybe it was this family. And I, and I don't know. I just see these things happen a lot. And I wonder, these are people too. This is a situation that happens. And I can't help but think that perhaps these are some of the family dynamics that are going on. Again, the Bible doesn't say that, but we can kind of look into them and, and, and wonder. Because they are people after all. But again, the need is never the call in our life. Because we cannot do what God is not leading us to do. If God's not going to do it, if God doesn't build the house, what? The builders build in vain. If God's not the one who's going to equip us to do it, there's no way we can meet someone else's need. You know, perhaps because even I believe that the lack we wish to fill is there even by God's design. That God allows lack in our lives at times to get our attention, to get us to look to him, to get us to be dependent on him and to lead us to, to God. And I wonder if this lack in Lot's life was really to God trying to get Lot's attention to let him lean on God. And maybe he started to a little bit. Maybe that's why he left with Abram. I don't know. Maybe it was a mix of two. It was probably, probably both. But um, I wonder if Abram had left when he was supposed to, I wonder if Lot would have gravitated, gravitated towards uh, the grandfather or someone else or another family member. Maybe Lot would have grown up a little bit more before heading out. Maybe he never would have been in a place to go to Sodom and Gomorrah. Maybe God didn't want Lot to leave because he knew he would choose Sodom and Gomorrah. Maybe Lot would have found a deeper relationship with God himself in that struggle. Maybe that struggle without Abram there, without his dad, without his father would have caused him to grow up. And again, I'm not saying to ditch Lot, but God said, God knew what was going to happen. God said, leave your family, leave your kin because it's going to be trouble for you. But Lot's problem later, again, I believe, is having that superficial relationship with God, being dependent on the world, the riches, his status in the community, trying to be liked by his friends and the, the people who didn't believe in God. And that didn't save anyone in Lot's life. It didn't even save his wife. His wife turned around. Only his daughters got out. His sons-in-law you know, None of his friends came um, when judgment came to Sodom. You know, all his efforts to kind of straddle both sides of the fence failed and ended up hurting those closest to him. We'll see more failure and of life after that. But I believe when we delay, we delay to prevent some sort of burden in our lives, whether it's on ourselves or on others, that we don't want to go because it's going to cost us something. We don't want to go because, you know, it's like not wanting to get up in the morning. You don't want to get up because you know you got to go to work. <laughs> but the, that cost of delaying is weighty. It's always heavier than the perceived burden that we would be taking on by being obedient right away. It always weighs more later than it does now. It's like debt. If you don't pay off debt right away, that interest just compounds and compounds and compounds. But we see that uh, Sarai, his wife, went without, went out with him. And uh, you know, we see later that it could have been his half-sister, perhaps. And I was like, well, where do we really get that, other than he kind of says that? And we don't necessarily see that here. Uh, the Talmud tries to link her as this, uh, the girl Iska in the end of chapter 11, but again, it's not clear, and then other aspects of the story break down if you do try and make that connection. Um, but whether she was or she wasn't, it, it was okay at this time. But Abraham was really in the habit of telling some stories to protect himself. And I think Moses tries to write this down, but it just turns into a mess trying to, you know, it's like you try and track down a, a web of lies and a web of stories. You can never really get it straight, and I think Moses was trying to track that down and trying to give him the facts. So she could have been his niece. She could have been his half-sister from a different mother. Uh, it's unclear. And again, at this time, that was okay. It's not like there's nothing weird going on there. But Sarai's name means princess. You know, Abram was like a king, and perhaps she was like his princess. You know, my daughters are like princesses to me. My wife is my queen, but I think, in, in fact, you know, if my wife were to act like a spoiled princess, I'd probably be in trouble. But she never really does. She really is more of a Cinderella. And that's really our fault. But in any sense, Lot was his brother's son. And I think that's a reminder here that this was not Abram's son. This was his nephew. This was his brother's who died son. A reminder that Abram was, well, he was bringing his family. That's why he necessarily wasn't supposed to. If he had left earlier, he might not have had to. If he left before his brother died, um, things might have been different. And again, Lot would prove to be a burden not a blessing, but Abram would still be a blessing a lot. You know, God said he'd be a blessing to others; he would be a blessing a lot. But they also took all their substance, and they took their servants. You know, I wonder: was Abram even have taken all of this? Was this his inheritance? Was he sticking around with his dad until his dad died, and then his dad dies, and he gets all this inheritance and all this coming on board with him? Um, was he even supposed to have all this? Was he even supposed to take all this on? Um, the thing about moving and paring down and and packing and getting rid of things and and well, what do we really need? You know, if, if we end up do end up moving, even if we move down the street, I still don't want to pay for a larger truck. I still want to move. I don't want to move 20 boxes if I can get away with moving 10 boxes. You know, I want to. The clutter would drive me nuts. But I wonder, was Abram supposed to have all this with him? Uh, was he really being dependent on God by taking all these servants, all this wealth with him that he probably inherited from his father? Um, was this getting out of his father's house? You know, I'm not at home anymore. I'm out of my father's house, but you got your father's golf clubs. You got your father's this. You got your father's that, you know. I think technically it was, but I, I have to think that maybe perhaps Abram packed too much. You know, when I go on a trip, sometimes I'll pack too much. I'll bring too many shirts. I'm like, I don't know what the weather's going to be like. And, you know, it's kind of hot in my office and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it like, kind of is what it is. And again, you know, we'll see Abram being more dependent on God later when the king, when he rescues Lot and the king Sodom comes and Abram pays tithes to uh, Melchizedek. Uh, but again, where did he all get this? He didn't get it in the Promised Land. He got it in Haran. And again, where did Abram's father die? Haran. Is that a coincidence? I, I don't think so. Um, and I wonder if perhaps he was packing up everything to move because he had no idea what he'll need. Maybe he'll be afraid there'll never be another Nordstrom's or never be another Starbucks. And so, you know, he buys up as much as he can while he's got it. But it says that he departed. And that word departed means departed. It means to go, to went. Uh, he went. It means to exit, to go forth, to proceed to or toward something, to bring out, to lead out. And it's nice to see that Abraham, although he's been dragging his feet and dilly-dallying along the way, He's finally proceeding to the promise. God promised something, but Abraham had to get there, had to proceed there. Abraham couldn't inherit that promise without getting up and without going. And Abraham was getting the show on the road. You know, um, I've heard it likened to this. Like, it's almost as if God says with his promise, there's gold in the mountains. And we wonder why we don't have gold in our pockets. I'm not saying that God's promised you health, wealth, prosperity, all that. But maybe it's because we don't get up and go to the mountain and begin to dig in the mountain and look for that gold of the promise. he says, they went to Canaan. And I wonder, why Canaan? God didn't say get up and go to Canaan. You know, there's four cardinal directions. Why did he pick south? And I wonder, you know, I, I looked and I tried to do a search. I looked in a couple commentaries, even looked in some like, Jewish websites, you know, as far as looking uh, their, in their interpretations of it. But I couldn't find an answer, why canaan? They said, oh, he went to Canaan and then he went to Egypt and all these things. But never said, well, why did he go south instead of north? And I wonder if it's just that Abram knew. You know, have you ever just known? You know, maybe you're watching a movie, you just know who the villain is, even if no one else does. You know? Um, maybe you know who Ray's parents are, and, you know, the debate is not open to you. I don't know. But there's logos in the word in this rhema, logos being the 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 plain interpretation of the word. Specifically, what does the word say? then there's a rhema that's more personal. You are reading the scriptures and it sticks out to you. Thou shalt not steal, and you realize, I've been stealing. You know, it's logos and it's rhema. There's conviction there. There's also the word of knowledge. You know, at, at times God will give gifts to people to let them just know things that would not be knowable. You know, your wife's having an affair, or, you know, your job is going to do this, or you're ministering to a friend or family member, and God shares something with you about what's going on in their life. And you are like, How did you know that? i I didn't tell anybody. You know, sometimes those things happen. I would have looked for those things all the time, but God does a lot of them to happen. And even in that of word, like I said, sometimes you just know. When God gives you a word about something, you've been praying about something, and you're bothered by it, excited about it, or whatever, and you're reading in the scripture, or you're sitting in a message, and all of a sudden, God just gives you a verse, and it just makes sense. You understand? I think maybe Abram just knew that. When God... When God uh, he knew what God meant when he was told uh, to go. Psalm 32, eight says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which you shall go, and I will guide you with mine eye. That when we have that relationship with God, when we can just spend time with him, and he just kind of looks, you know, like you have a relationship with your spouse, and they just give you that look, and you go, oh, I know what that means, or there's something going on, and you look at each other, and you just know um, you don't have to say a word. But it's interesting that he started in that direction, you know, because his dad was going in that direction as well. But again, he only went so far. He was going in the right direction, but he stopped short. And it reminded me of, my mind is weird, but when I was little, I watched tractor pulls on, the channel was TNN at the time, the national network. And they hook up these big, large tractors, I don't know if you've seen them, in this big, heavy trailer, and it's got a giant weight on the trailer, and they're in the mud, and they're in, you know, the Meadowlands or something, and people are breathing in carbon dioxide. Woohoo! But... <laughs> As they go, they start out really fast, they start really going, they have a lot of traction, but as the weight begins to move forward on the trailer, closer towards the front of the trailer, it shifts the weight and I don't know the physics behind it, but eventually the the tractor begins to lose traction and it can't go any farther. So the deal is, how far can they get before this weight moves? And Abram had this weight and he stopped short. He didn't get all the way to the finish line, he was at Haran and it wasn't until he got rid of, not that his dad was a weight in a disrespectful way, but God was telling him to go and leave him behind. And that was a wave. And he goes to Shechem, and that could be back or shoulder. It was a city in Manasseh located in the valley between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. But it was 34 miles north of Jerusalem, and it was uh, southeast of Samaria. So he was, like, in the heart of the promised land when he got there. Uh, the Terebith tree, one translation says it's the tree, the says it's the plain, the word kind of has a double meaning there. But I could see there being plains and trees. You know, trees don't really grow on top of a mountain, right? But morah uh, means teacher. You know, there was this oak tree at Shechem where Abram stopped when he first entered Canaan, close to the mountains of Ebon and Gerizim, the hill in the valley, you know, where the Midianites camped when Gideon attacked them. So he, again, he's in the heart of all this land hundreds of years before um, they would really have it. You know, but what did Jesus say? Jesus says, my burden is light and my yoke is easy. And Proverbs twenty-six-three says, a whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the fool's back, that at this back or shoulder there would be learning at this tree there would be teaching. And Abraham would have been foolish to stay back. If he stayed back any further, it would have been foolish not to go. God's promised you something, why would you stay back from it? You know, the bank says, hey, come on down, you know, we've got it's like a spam email. You know, you you've been selected to win an Amazon gift card. Your C D S account came. You're like, no no no, you're spam. I'm not clicking that link. But some I feel like sometimes maybe we think that's God, but the promise is too good to be true. So for whatever reason we don't go for it. Or maybe there's other reasons, but it would have been foolish for Abram to say that. Hebrews 5.8, though he was a son, yet Jesus learned obedience by the things which he suffered, that he had to sacrifice to learn uh, obedience. And this one I think is special. In John one forty eight. Nathaniel said to Jesus, how do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. That Abram got to the land, he was at this tree, and he, he met with the Lord and said that the Canaanites were then in the land. You know, that Joshua would later drive out the Canaanites, that Abram would have been one man versus a million. I don't know the population there at the time, but it would have been impossible for Abram to take over the land, that was his promise. But it wasn't his role, he was just to go there. It was still his inheritance. It would still be 684 years. Uh, This was around 2091 BC and 1407 was the conquest of Midian when Joshua began to, to take over the land. But again, Abram wasn't to bring an army into the land, but God would go before him. That even though Abram didn't possess the land physically, it was still his land. Think of David being anointed. David was anointed king, and that meant technically you were king. You were the inheritance, you were the right. But Saul was still on the throne. We know that God's power left Saul. Even though Saul was still acting out and ruling as king, uh, he really wasn't the king anymore. Uh, David was. We see that in the flesh versus the spirit. And man, God gives us his spirit, but our flesh still lives like the flesh sometimes. And we need, the only way to get rid of that is to tell the flesh no. Is the sacrifice of the flesh. You know, and Jesus says you don't need a lot of faith. You just need the faith the size of a mustard seed is. We just rely on that little faith, that little promise. That's all we need. The flesh seems to think it needs more. But the spirit realizes it can do a lot with a little. Let's read these last couple verses as we uh, come to a close here. Verse 7 says, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. And he pitched his the tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. See, Ai is nothing new. They've had it a thousand years. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed going on still toward the south. It says, then the Lord appeared to Abram. Then the Lord. When Abram stepped out and went there. And actually got to the promised land. That's when he heard from the Lord. And it was only after Abram obeyed God's last words to him. that was when God appeared to him. That's when he received the next step. That's when God said, I'm going to give this land to your inheritance, to your descendants. This is what's going to happen. I think that's heavy. And I think that's why we don't obey sometimes. Because we don't trust. And this is for me. I was studying this last night. I was like, you know, finishing up this last part. It was like, came through the computer screen. It like, you know. I've been praying about things and certain things. And this is, this is why, I think. Because perhaps we don't trust. We don't expect God to be faithful in the next step that we don't know. You know, GPS. When Ash and I are traveling, we got GPS. It's just going me the next step. I'm like, well, what's the next step? You know, in my mind, I need to know the next step. I need to know, is it eight miles to the exit? Is it two miles? You know, I have a hard time just trusting Google's timing on this. <laughs> you know, I want to I make up my own timing um, for things. You know, we uh, we got a half day on Friday um, when I was at work, as we had a Christmas party. and we, A couple coworkers and I were in the car and was trying to pull up the address in GPS, and the GPS wasn't like working. And then my friends like couldn't pick it up. And then finally, uh, the, our friend in the back seat got hers working, and then we started driving. And it was like it's like well at least we knew we had to get on 95 North. And so I headed in that direction, and then she got it working. at the Time that we knew where to go. But man, I think sometimes. Just because we don't know the next step, we don't take the step that we have to take now. And and, and that's not faith. That's not trust. You know, if if we really trust God, you know, well, if we trust him enough to take this step, the next step will be fine, too. He'll get us through. We just like to be in control, I think. But it says appeared. And that same word is to a land. I will show you that God, uh, it's the same word, appear, to show, um, to uh, perceive. But God would show Abram where to go, and then he would show him personally, all that was in store, that God appeared to Abram here, kind of like to give him a tour, you know. Called Abram, like, hey Abram, come, I'm in the promised land, come join me in the promised land. And Abram had to get up and go there to get the next part, you know, those offers for a free timeshare or whatever. You, kinda, you have to go there in order to get the offer, and I don't know. But we see here that Christophanies are more prevalent in the Bible than we realize. That Jesus shows up a lot in the Old Testament. God shows up a lot. Uh, and it appears to people throughout the, the Old Testament. Because he's always with us. And uh, he, wants to sh- he wants to show them that he's with them. He wants to show them that he's personal and intimate with them. He's not just uh, sitting up somewhere on some cloud. As we might think he might be. But we have the Holy Spirit now. That when Jesus descended to heaven, he gave us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is always with us. He's always ready to show us. But I wonder, are we ready to look? I think sometimes we don't look because we don't want to see or maybe we're afraid to see. You know, praying in repentance. I think sometimes, and this is for myself especially, that I think maybe I don't have anything to pray about. Like, oh, you know, I'm going to go pray and then, oh, I don't have to confess too much today. So I kind of rush through it. But if, you know, I slow down and Sit there for a second and willing to kind of let God show me the course of my day. I'm like, oh, I had a great day today. Well, yeah, it was good. But like, Slow down a little bit. There's still stuff that can be repented. Of. There's still stuff that's wrong. You're not perfect yet, buddy. And I, I won't ever be. And I don't need to be. But God is perfect. But with that, we need to slow down. Because God is going to give us a second look. He'll start showing us. And it's never to condemn us. It's always... To cleanse us, it's always to free us from a burden, from the weight, from the things that might weigh us down. The guilt that really leads us to take things on that we shouldn't have. How many times do we take something on because we feel guilty? You know, but, I mean, you know, maybe you feel like you didn't do enough work last week, so you take on projects that, you know, you do, or maybe you feel bad for, you know, so you take something on that's too much. I don't know. I think sometimes we take on. I know that we take on the burdens that aren't ours. To try to deal with our own burdens, we haven't let God take on. Um, you know, sometimes we'll take on a burden of a relationship because we haven't dealt with something in our past that's really burdening us. Um, you know, they talk about like people get in relationships because of their relationship with their parents, and like they didn't have a good relationship, so they get into a bad relationship or, or that nature, or other things. There's, um, you know, I can look back on my life and see decisions I started to make, things I started to get involved in because of stuff that I still had burden for, that I thought I had to make up for, maybe consciously or unconsciously. Um, but as I would spend time with the Lord, he would show me that it wasn't my burden to take on because there was nothing I could to make up for that. And even if I did take on this burden, it never would make up for it. But the, problem, uh, the promise would be to Abram's descendants. And yet they knew uh, at that time that Sarai, uh, Sarai was barren. And I wonder if that was part of Abram's deal with Lot, to take on his brother's son, uh, was it the guilt of his brother's death? Maybe he just was torn up about his brother's debt, uh, death. Uh, I don't know what their dynamic was, but you know, maybe taking on a burden of his own wife's barrenness. You know, maybe he thought, maybe it's not Sarai's fault, maybe it's my fault. And you know, Maybe a lot. You know, I don't know. We see, kind of see that later when they get the handmaiden, right? They, they begin to take on these burdens that maybe they shouldn't have because they have a burden. But God's promise was much larger than a new town, a new house, a new job, and all those things would be good, but God's promise was greater than that. It was an eternal blessing to all believers. Uh, John the Baptist in Matthew 3, 8 and 9 says, Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abram as our father, for I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abram from these stones. I love John the Baptist because he's totally just straight-faced, gives it to the religious hypocrites. It says, Bear fruits worthy of repentance, and don't think that you're just Abram's father because you've got this You're you're Jewish. God says he can make anyone Abram's descendants. And in fact, if we're uh, children of faith, like in Hebrew, if we believe in God, Abram looked forward to the Messiah. And we look forward to the Messiah. We're more than Abram's children. We're God's children. But what does he do when God shows up to him? What does he do um, when the Lord continues to show the blessing in his life? He builds an altar. He builds an altar to God. And I think it's important to build memories and landmarks in our lives when we can look back and say, that, yes, God worked here, worked there. you know, We have all our photos show up on the TV, and Google always reminds you of, you know, this is two days ago, two years ago, remember this day? Yeah, I remember that day. <laughs> yeah, that's, I just want to make a phone But it's important that we do that because we need to remember what God did in our lives. We need to look back and remember that God did things in our lives. Because uh, we'll get to a next hard spot, and we need to be able to return to that personal altar and uh, worship God there and remember him there. But I know that's why churches and believers start to die. Because they believe they're worshiping at altars that aren't their own. They hear a a fantastic story, a testimony, a miracle, uh, something that happened in someone else's life. And yeah, they meet God there. But they don't use that to propel them towards their own meeting with God. And so they lived off the successes or works of God in someone else's life. But they don't allow God to work in their own life. And there's only so long that you can live off of that. There's only so long a baby can live off its mother's milk. Only so long a baby can live off an umbilical cord. If the baby tries to live off the umbilical cord after they're born, they're not going to live very long because there's no more nutrients coming through that. It's the same way. Yeah, it's good to hear the stories of what God does in others because that might encourage us to seek God for ourselves. But if we don't seek him for ourselves in our own lives, it doesn't matter how many times God heals someone else. If you haven't allowed him to heal you of these things, you're never going to survive. It says that Abram moved, he worshiped God. And I believe Abram's relationship with God got real at this point. I believe he was searching for God, knew of God, but it seems like this is where the rubber met the road with him. Um, you know, the voice that was speaking to his soul earlier in the chapter, uh, earlier in his life to get out and go, now saw the person behind it, the person in the work of God in his life. And his response was only this, was to worship God, was to worship him. And we see that Abram joins those men who began to call on the name of the Lord. You know, we see that through our earlier parts of Genesis, these people called on the name of the Lord. But Abram, this is where it says Abram had a relationship with God. You know, Abram continued. He didn't stop there. He kept going. He kept exploring that land, kept moving around, kept sojourning, kept being a pilgrim. And the land that God showed him was not limited at this time by border or boundary. Um... You know, it's to be explored in his lifetime. You see the Israelites go to Egypt, and they come back, they wander in the wilderness, and then they come up here and go over there. So eventually, by the time he has all these descendants, they've visited the whole land. And as we close, two things. When God calls, don't delay. When God calls, don't delay. And then when God appears, worship. Don't stop. Don't settle. Keep moving. You know, there's a saying that, you know, in in life there's movement. You know, if there's no movement, there's no life. And when God tells us to go somewhere and pursue him and and seek him, that we're going to keep moving. It's never just get somewhere, sit down and settle and put your feet up. It's always, all right, we got here. Let's keep going because we're not home yet. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for this time and your word and that, God, you do promise us uh, great things. And things that might be great in this life, maybe family or friends or a good job or comfort in some things, but God, you've got, those things are good, but you've got better things for us. You've got uh, eternal promises, eternal things, God, where we'll live forever with you. But there's no tear or sorrow or uh, remembrance of sin anymore, but God, will rejoice with you forever and with those that have gone before us. And, and God, help us to look for the eternal things, the spiritual things that... God, even if you bless us physically, God, you give and you take away and help us be content in that. But God, the things that you're speaking speaking to us and you've spoken to us, help us to be obedient and not delay. God, you say that today is the day of salvation, God. When we hear how much you did for us on the cross, how you laid your whole life down, how you lived a life that was uh, sinless and a life that loved others, healed others. You forgave others, even when they were nailing you to the cross. You forgave the man on the cross who just turned to you and said, remember me. And you said, you're going to be, to, you're going to be with me in paradise today. That even though you lived a life that was totally wrong, you looked at me. And you realized who I was. And that's all that happened. You appeared to that man, God. You appeared to us, God. Yeah, I know you're appearing to others, God. Let them see you. Let them hear you. Let them know that you're good and that you have only good for them. And that, when you do ask us to lay down our lives, to put aside our family or friends or our dreams. God, it's, it's always for good. And you always have something better for us, God. So let us not delay. Let us turn to you today. Let us accept you into our lives um, and trust you more and more. Because you're trustworthy. You're the only one who will fail. Our friends fail. Our family fails. Um, but God, you never fail. So we love you. God bless this place. Bless those who work here Bless those who visit here. Uh, God, it's bless your people name Jesus Amen.